you're an incurable romantic. My name is Matthew Kroll. And he is the moon when I am lost. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film The Old Guard. Better than the new guard, I gotta say. Meet the meet the new guard? Same as the old guard. Is that oh yeah, I guess it could be that as well. Yeah. Feels like it has been a lifetime since we've seen each other. How are you, Matt? I'm okay. Uh, you know, you are now not even in your your studio closet anymore. You you are elsewhere in the world. I am elsewhere in the world. I have had a a, a very generous offer from a friend who had a, a an empty house that we he generously uh, suggested I could uh, take my family to to get some uh, time away from the city. And uh, at first, I was reluctant to do so because of the logistics of uh, of of moving uh, of just sure. going away during quarantine, like taking a trip during quarantine. But uh, after what? How long has it been since March? March, April, May, June, <laughs> July. Yeah, so it's been about four. Or five months um uh i felt it was imperative that the three of us get out of the apartment uh and it has been wonderful uh this is uh i, I won't say the person's name they do listen to the podcast uh, on occasion but it is an incredible generous gift that they have given me which is the opportunity to go outside without worrying about a mask there you go i mean that's uh, wonderful uh, so th- i also <laughs> know this person thank you this person for helping shahir next time where's my invite this person <laughs> uh also it has to be i okay you have one i have one request from you, Shahir. One request. All right. Uh, while you are at this different domicile, yeah, you have to watch Parasite. <laughs> this particular domicile <laughs> is well suited to a viewing of Parasite. It would also be the most terrifying thing to watch in this particular house. And that is what I'm going for, 100%. (laughs) That and uh, if I did that with a double feature of Parasite and Panic Room, I think I would be. (laughs) I think I would be. You got to do it. You got to do it. Get that. You got to really get that metagaming in with with your cinematic experiences. Uh, so far, the only thing I've watched in this particular household is uh, the old garden. I watched it on a television, not a projector, uh, which I got to say, um, I think I prefer the projector in every way. Like, the, the, no, no, look, look, the light and the contrast and the brightness of a, of a new television is amazing. And, you know, it's wonderful. Yes. Of course, I did that. I did that, you know, obnoxious thing, which is that I went through and changed all the motion, you know, all the motion smoothing settings off. I couldn't believe they were on. That's Turn them not, all off. No, that's fine. That, if, you, <laughs> if you went in and like read color balanced and stuff, I'd call you a nerd. But no, motion settings should always be off. But but there, you know, look, and again, we have said this before in the past, and I'll say it again. We are very fortunate and privileged to have apartments and the resources available to us to set up uh, home theaters, even on the cheap. Yeah. Um, but but you know, the not everyone has that uh, ability, and. The experience of watching a movie on a home theater screen is 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 so different to watching it on television. I found my impulse to check my phone was much more prevalent uh, on the uh, on the television screen than it would be. Um, I, I find w- with the projector, I I sort of I treat it with a little bit more respect, you know. So when when the projector is running. I put the phone away and I'm like not going to touch it. It does take um, longer to warm up and then turn on. Yeah, exactly. It it feels like it's it's more of an effort. Yeah. Um, also, I turn my projector from eco mode to to like power mode, so it, so it winds up and you hear it whirring a little bit more, and you know you you're burning bulb time. Yep. Um, you gotta get but, that counter uh, up. Yeah, exactly. So no, I I uh, this will be an interesting. I mean, look, I I it was it's the first time in a while that I've watched the movie on a screen. Uh, that's not a projection. So uh, it's been, it, it was interesting from that point of view. Well, let's, we'll, we'll get into that in one second. But first, we have a few emails and tweets to discuss, my friend. I know, we've been, we have been lucky that we've had guests in the last few weeks, which means that we tr- we p- sit aside our emails and tweets. Yes. Um, to be polite in front of other people. Yes. Thank you so uh, much to uh, Rachel, Jura, and Tessa for coming on their respective episodes for Miss Juneteenth and Hamilton. I feel like we've just been circling around the Black Men Can't Jump podcast. That's basically what we've been doing. I mean, isn't that our <laughs> whole podcast career? Yeah, yeah. We're just picking them off one we're by one. We're literally, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're slowly but surely we will we'll get them uh, <laughs> collect, collect the full set. And then, like, what we get, if we get the Infinity Gauntlet, their, like, podcasting version of an Infinity Gauntlet, <laughs> then we get 
some of their ad- sponsor dollars. Or, I don't know. <laughs> Headgum will leave a message on our on our you know answering machines if that was a thing still. Uh, well, uh, oh, uh, please check out Black Man Can't Jump on uh, in Hollywood, which is a podcast that we have not been on, um, <laughs> and rightfully so. <laughs> and rightfully so. Uh, first up, I just wanted to shout out. Uh, we did get a lovely tweet from the director of one of the movies we reviewed a couple of weeks ago, yes. which is Tanny Godfrey. Peoples tweeted us about our review of Miss Juneteenth, and it was a, what a delight to uh, receive this uh, little note from uh, the director of a movie that we both loved, which was. Yeah. What a great conversation. Big shout out to Only Movie Pod for talking Mr. Unteenth. This is such a good podcast. Passionate, insightful, and inspiring. Thank you all for amplifying this film. See, look, you don't have to take our word for it. There are professionals. People who do this, who make movies for a living, and very good movies, might I add. Please go see Miss. Uh, please see Miss Juneteenth wherever you can. I was who taken aback. To like I us? was. I was taken aback. That is the first time in two hundred and seventy-eight nine, whatever one we're up to at this point, episodes that the director of the film has tweeted <laughs> back at us saying they enjoyed our conversation. Uh, <laughs> listen, we snuck it in under 300, and I think yeah. uh, 300 episodes. Not Z- Zack Snyder will not tweet us about the film 300. <laughs> oh, uh, my God. When we do, are we going to do the Snyder Cut? Uh, just FYI, did you... Did you for a for a moment go? What did we say on that podcast? Not at we, all. We put nope. these, we put these out for and we don't think about them. No, no, no. <laughs> because that one was so. Um, well, listen. Everything about the film was a feel good conversation. The yeah. stuff, the 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 social aspects of various other topics that we did, of course, were were important yet could be considered downers. But the entire time of that one, I was like, no. If there's one. If there's one episode in our catalog where I feel comfortable with the director listening to our conversations about their film, it is Miss Juneteenth. Zack Snyder, please email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Are you an auteur uh, with Michael Bay? Um, <laughs> all right. Next up, we have our good friend, Terse Man. Terse Man. Uh, email us up? in the official, uh, the, the official, unofficial, official uh, Topam historian. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, uh, he writes... Um, just writing your, uh, just after listening to your uh, Hamilton podcast, I gotta say it's your best one this year so far. Uh, I will say I was a fan of uh, for the music for about three years now. Finally, being able to watch the production as a whole was magical to me. But I do find the musical overhyped and overall not as amazing as some people would say. Mind you, I'm not saying that the musical is not great. It is, of course, but I do think that it has flaws within the structure. I think some of the songs uh, kill the overall pacing of the music. Of the musical, excuse me, especially within the third act when it seemingly nose dives and picks up again with very little reason. I also think the lack of non-sung lines tend to make the timeline of the musical hard to manage and it creates inconsistencies within the story. Even with these complaints, I still think the musical is a masterpiece and worthy of the critical praise it receives. I just think that calling it the greatest musical of all time is a little overzealous. All the best, Terseman. And he also says uh, how he hopes that it's not nominated for an Oscar, but he thinks it will. <laughs> 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 that that actually so so let's take the second part of that the, just that last footnote and have a quick conversation about that because it's something like you and I do get into the weeds on semantics of uh what? you know in a lot of our conversations what? uh one co- one part of that that I was surprised that we didn't knuckle down into was is this a film or is this uh a recording of a, of an event and whether that matters in this context um, and, uh, I guess maybe Trishman raised the point there is like whether this could be nominated for an Oscar. I, my feeling is, well, I think even uh, beyond feeling, I think it actually can't be due to the rules. Uh, what, the, what, what rules apply that it was be? not released in a theater at all. Uh, the, the, the Oscars have, uh, relaxed that rule for 2021 because of COVID. Oh, so streaming films, uh, are now eligible for, the Oscars um, because of, uh, you know, because of COVID. Um, so with that in mind, does that change? I mean, I don't know what your opinion is of it is, but does that change your opinion or not? Um, well, my opinion is, yes, it could be nominated. Um, yeah. the, the interesting part of that is it's a bit of a different beast, but at the end of the day, it is still a film because it is still images being shown to me on a format like it just the, the creation of those images is not important more so the the style at which it is presented to me um at least again this is my own personal reasoning the the interesting thing i think around that is um if we didn't let this with with the laxed rules right about not being in a theater etc i'm just talking about the technical aspects of this as a film 
um, if we didn't let this in, then that would also mean that you might not be able to let like um, neo-realist film in or like other what? sort of other sort of like things that are just filmed with actual people doing slice of life for certain documentaries. Like, th- wait, no, no, no. I don't, I don't see how the connection between this and neorealism or documentary films connects. Like I don't see, I, I don't see how you're putting those two things together. The way, as a, the way, because this is a filming of a play. Right. Of a musical. Right. Just like things, when you shoot a documentary, you're shooting real life. And granted, you have, but then this is cut, again, it's not just one straight shot of a play. This is cut together to enhance. We talked about that in the podcast. Go back and listen to the right. Hamilton episode for that. We, you know. But neo, I mean, neorealism is like, it's like saying, are you suggesting that if you didn't let Hamilton in, you wouldn't let Umberto D in? Or. I mean, well, they, I, I'm saying there are I, I don't there see how are those there two are things connect. there are a lot of different sort of connections that you can draw to that because you are doing it. It's sort of like you're you're defining. Okay, what I'm saying is this: if you don't let Hamilton in, the, with the relaxed rules of the theater going experience and whatever, you are asking for a lot of other questions of things in similar contexts. Like you can't say this isn't a film. It is. They filmed the play. It's a film of the play. That's what it is. They filmed it. Uh, granted, not on film, quote unquote, but you get what I mean. Anyway, that's just my opinion. It doesn't matter. I'm guessing you'll. S- I don't know what you'll say actually. Uh, I'm. I'm. Uh, uh, yeah, I find the. Uh, I guess. I have no issue with this being nominated for an Oscar, and I have no issue with this being. Uh, eligible for awards, or I, I have no issue with the semantic question of whether this is a film or not. I think if you don't believe it's a film, I think that's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, I, if you do believe it's a film, I think that's equally uh, a, a, an acceptable position on this. Um, uh, I, I think the the issue of whether it can be nominated for an Oscar or not it becomes an arbitrary question of like the parameters of which yes. you set art and um uh, to me they the, they're sort of meaningless yeah um uh, like like the, i guess the, the the questions that this beca- the, for me the, the the parameters of i think that could be confounding is, is is for example in the golden globes what constitutes the award for best musical does it have to be a musical that is um a non-synchronous filming or can it be a you know can you just can you shoot um a a broadway production and allow that in and and like would this open the floodgates to like saying you know hades town being able to be nominated if they filmed a production of hades town or something like that um i think that that's arbitrary and sort of defined by the institutions that are handing out those awards um but whether this is a film or not is a sort of um it's a, it's a personal reflection. Uh, I, uh, if you t- if you argued this was not a film under your pers- you know personal boundaries, I would say that's perfectly fine. If you if you argue that this is absolutely a film, I'd say that's perfectly fine too. It doesn't really matter to me. I think the thing that mattered to me was the emotional experience I had watching that. Yes, and I think going to Tristman's other point, which is that is this the greatest musical of all time? Um. I I feel sort of painfully unqualified to answer that because I I I think it is, but I also am not well versed enough in like the parameters of what makes a great musical, um, or or even great you know great stage play enough to qualify that that question. I do think for me personally, this was uh, probably the greatest theater going experience I've ever had. Um, sure, I think, but I don't know if that too. just makes me a simpleton about theater. No, I mean yes and no. I mean we we obviously aren't the aren't the you know the this isn't the only podcast about Broadway. Um, so yeah. the it's funny because this I really loved this and it's one of my favorite musicals. I I still think I, I, I weirdly enough and and now come at me everybody who's into this stuff. I do still think that uh, overall for the musical experience of both the the way the songs affect me and also the the overall story, I have to say I think Avida still takes it for my favorite musical. Yeah, um, don't cry for don't cry for Mr. Kroll. Yeah, but um, but that's but so that's sort of the interesting thing. I, and it's hard to say like something is the greatest of all time. And I think that's kind of what he meant. I think he sort of you know, Terse yeah. Man, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's just sort of saying that this is not his uh, you know, this is not his uh, goat. 
<laughs> All right. Well, what may be some other goats that we can talk about here uh, is a few more tweets that uh, people have tweeted us in at OnlyMoviePod. Uh, first off, we've got a new new listener by the name of April, uh, last name withheld, who's been uh, uh, who I can tell is really enjoying uh, the podcast because he's tweeting us uh, a lot after Good. every episode. So we really Hi, enjoy April. that. Welcome to the welcome to the community, April. Uh, I pulled this one particular tweet out because because of a movie I'd recently watched. Uh, but hey, guys, so I was just trying to figure out if you'd ever done a movie with my idol, the late great Robin Williams. My weird random choice uh, favorite is Toys. The I think it's the Barry oh, Levinson yeah. film. Oh yeah, yep, yep, uh, yep. Because it's so weird. Uh, if you haven't, please, please, please do. There are so many choices anyway. Nanu nanu. Uh, <laughs> we have not done an episode with Robin Williams, and I think Robin Williams passed away while we were doing the podcast. I don't think he had any releases during. Um, out uh why uh any major oh of course uh what was the road movie he did with bobcat goldwaith uh i i forget the name of it uh, i'll have to look it up uh, while yeah. we're talking here but i recently just watched happy feet again because i was uh trying to pick movies to watch with my son and rob williams is in that playing a number of characters and i was like this is a movie that feels like in the current climate we're in now may not pass the muster in terms of uh, performances, uh, especially there's a, there's a sort of ethnicity applied to certain penguins that Robin Williams does the voice of mm. um, that uh, would be interesting to see whether it um, passed the muster sure. uh, now in these days. So I'm, I'm very curious. Uh, about that. If anyone has seen Happy Feet recently, uh, please watch again. Uh, you know, I kind of wanted to see it because I'm uh, interested in revisiting George Miller and I wanted to find something me and my son could watch together. What's your favorite Robin Williams or other things that Robin uh, Williams Oh my like? gosh. Uh, Good Morning Vietnam. Of course. Um, Aladdin, honestly. Um, mm. I think that's Brilliant a huge one for me. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, but, but honestly, April, toys would be such... <laughs> an interesting rewatch. It's always been interesting, and I think I've seen it three times in my life. Really? Um, but every time it feels like a brand new movie, and I don't, it, not always in a good way. Like, it, it, it's, it's this weird sort of, it's like a time capsule of a world that never existed. And then we look yeah. at it through the lens of whatever current zeitgeist we were in. Shahir, have you seen Toys? I actually don't believe I have. I may have when I was younger, and I know it is a very unusual film. I think I think it's a Barry Levinson movie. Um, I have not revisited, so I remember the poster. I remember it's about a a sort of Willy Wonka-ish character who works in a toy factory. Yeah, but like mix or, Willy or Wonka with like factory. the Dark Crystal. It's weird. Yeah. Um, but I, but I, I, beyond that, I couldn't tell you much about it. The other thing that I would be, the, the part of Robin Williams that I've always been interested in is the, is the crazy psychiatrist for, uh, character that, that has popped up several times in, in Robin Williams, uh, uh, career so so uh there is did again where he plays uh an ex-psychiatrist who i think may have killed some of his patients mm -hmm. then there's then there's sort of the good version of that in goodwill hunting um and then um i believe it was one hour one hour photo he's not a, he's a photographer person but it's this it's this dark undercurrent to robin williams performances because he's so good at comedy it's really interesting to see him tap into that sort of like unhinged part of his yeah. psyche that's really fun to watch also side uh, note completely different oh, tone. No, uh, sorry the movie i was remembering was um uh insomnia the christopher nolan ah um, uh, yes yeah where he plays a novelist but uh, yeah and then completely other side of the spectrum i completely i forgot i can't believe i forgot this is one of my favorite robin williams birdcage of course yeah birdcage how could you forget it he's so good he look we the world is a lesser place because uh, uh because mr williams is no longer in it uh, yeah so uh, it'll be. Uh, thank you for that question, April. It'd be really interesting to to see if we could revisit Mr. Williams' career at some point. Uh, one last tweet. Uh, we were talking a while back about the uh, you know whether we would ever go back to the movie theaters. Uh, <laughs> Laura chimed in. Uh, Laura is a theater worker. Uh, chimed in with, uh, "I am psyched for Tenant to release, especially because it means I can go back to working in my cinema." Something missed in the conversation was international theaters are all but ready to go with a lot less risk than American cinemas. But we don't have any content. 
uh, I think because of this, international audiences really and willing and waiting. And the fact that Tenet has had such a huge budget uh, that probably would struggle to make a decent re uh, return through an on-demand release. Uh, uh, I just can't wait till it plays. Uh, wait till it plays in cinemas. Um, Tenet has been pushed back yet again uh, for for very good reason, I must add. Um, but but uh, Laura raises a really good point: is that internationally, the in every country that has not been us, you know, the dumb ones, um, <laughs> has managed to sort of return to a sense of normal normality. Uh, it like it is striking to hear about, for example, New Zealand. Um, pretty much, life has returned to normal there. Yeah. Um, you know, like no masks, no social distancing. Um, when somebody does get coronavirus there, it's front page news, and the entire country turns into into an entire army of contact traces, which is quite fun to watch. But but it's amazing to think about how every decision we've made, America, uh, is the wrong decision at this point. You know, like there's very few decisions we've made that have been like 100% correct. Uh, and obviously it's a different scale, different, you know, kettle of fish, what have you. But it is amazing to think about the fact that if we were a little bit smarter, we might be able to see Tenant in August, but we're not. It's, it's, it's not being smart. And it's being selfish children. Um, the, we've said it before, say it again, wear your damn masks. Uh, if everyone, when this started, did what a lot of other places did, and for four to six weeks, we just did that. Again, I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir, but then we'd be through it. But no, <laughs> but no, but there, no. There's more complexity to this, uh, obviously, because of the... The, the states versus the federal system, which is very different to almost anywhere else. The fact that we have a different healthcare uh, setup, uh, the leadership involved. I was uh, going to, to say lightly. the fact that the there's no literal trust at all on really either side of whatever aisle. I feel like there's not even an aisle anymore. It's it's more like a chasm. <laughs> but, but regardless, regardless, somewhere Christopher Nolan is sitting there stewing. At the fact that he can't cannot release his film that he has worked so hard on uh, to uh, you know for 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 an you know for a, a, a cinema audience um, and you know what it's just our fault it is uh, it is it's our own damn fault um, so uh, it's unfortunate but um, there was another question on Twitter this week about whether we'd see maybe an upturn in uh, international cinema being watched by American audiences. I'm not entirely sure about that, but anecdotally, um, what I think we will see is more films being shot over, more American films being shot overseas. And, you know, New Zealand is a case study on this as well. Avatar has gone into full production in New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, along with the Lord of the Rings television series, I think, as well. I mean, we're going to... I mean, that was going that direction regardless, just based on costs. Uh, but yeah. now it's like an actual medical necessity. Yeah. Uh, which, you know what, is great, I think, for for other places, too. But it also does kind of stink for the, the mid to low tier film. Like, that can't oh, yeah. just yeah. fly its crew to wherever. Um, yeah. But that's always, you know... That, I, yeah. That's not a specific COVID issue. That's just, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> anyway, um, anyway, you know, the 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 opposite of what uh, Christopher Nolan would want for Tenant uh, is yeah. how the film we're going to talk about today, The Old Guard, was released uh, yeah. on Netflix with very little advertising or fanfare. <laughs> yeah. Um, Netflix, you know, about... <laughs> oh, Netflix is bad at... Well, no, 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 no. That would imply that they were making a mistake, or that they were they were in intentionally making a mistake. Netflix does not advertise a ton of its content, like outside of the Netflix platform. I think it relies on you turning it on and seeing a thing, and then knowing about it, right, on their platform. Like, you you feel like a, a Charlize Theron action film <laughs> yeah. would be like, especially in this climate, a bit more. Uh, out there a bit more of an event and and i don't i just don't think netflix spends its money like that i think they spend their money making stuff and they don't spend their money talking about it which um, is interesting because it's a 70 million dollar movie yeah um yeah no well look we've talked about i think uh you know one of the things about netflix is that the you know the 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 uh the abyss is staring back so when you turn on netflix um, you not only are you getting a selection of movies based on your prior viewing habits, um, you're also getting 
this was revealed to me by Ryan Koo, who was on our episode about amateur. Um, the the thumbnail for the movies that you receive changes depending on things that they perceive you like. Yeah. Um, so if you happen to be in, you know, you love action movies, you'll probably get a shot of Charlize Theron with a gun. If you happen to like uh, socially uh, socially aware dramas, you'd probably get a, uh, an image of the entire group from the old guard, mm-hmm. uh, or you might get Kiki Lane, uh, in, in its place. You know, the, 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 they, I think they're spending their money on sort of targeting the viewership. Yeah. Um, uh, and there was an interesting thing that happened this week because the other movie that got released this week that did have a little bit of fanfare going for it, um, was Palm Springs, the, um, Andy Samberg film. Yep. Um, and, the you know uh neon bought bought the distribution rights for that and put it on hulu and apparently for hulu it was a big win however they're not really stating the data on how that film you know fared on hulu and they're obviously two different sizes of film as well that is a much much smaller i think that movie has got a budget of four million dollars or something along those lines so whether being on hulu pays off for that versus you know the old guard which is a 70 million dollar film playing on netflix i'm not exactly you know the metrics don't work the 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 way we think they do so it's a you know different whether this is advertised i think is is sort of a a different scenario. There's also the fact that we're not walking outside and looking at billboards. So playing for billboards might not be a, a worthwhile uh, expenditure at this point. As yeah, well. sure. I mean, I, but the thing is, like, normally when there's a big movie, I mean, when Tenant was about to be released and then not, and then about to be released and then not, like, even on, like, again, I watch more YouTube than I do television. Um, so, but I'd see ads for Tenant on YouTube before YouTube videos. Like for prominent films in the last few years, that's kind of where I normally see the advertising going. Um, right. Here, I I almost you know what honestly I think I saw at least one or two for Six Underground, right? Uh, which again Netflix, but um, you know the, the the side note about your thumbnail conversation about like the image that's shown that's so interesting because a little bit of how my sausage is made uh, over at Extra Credits <laughs> we've done a lot of research on thumbnail and uh, uh, click through and retention and a bunch of stuff we have we have a few documents going around. And there are, uh, you know, no, I'll even, I'll even sort of, I'll even, um, I'll go into this a little bit because I think it's interesting. So we're doing a series that is one of my absolute favorites called Exploring the Pacific, where we talk about the the Pacific Islands, sort of the habitation of, of humans towards it, and then how eventually, thousands of years later, uh, the Europe comes and fucks it up. Tale as old as time, right? Um, the second episode was called Wayfinding, or sorry, Wayfinders. And it was all about the art of wayfinding, which is the the Pacific Islanders' form of of navigation with with these these canoes and different sort of rafts with crab claw sails, etc. It didn't hit that well. The thumbnail yeah. was a small picture of a boat, and I don't think too many people were searching for the or, or that saw the word wayfinder or wayfinders knew or cared enough about it. Um, then we decided. To do something a little different, we took the image and changed it to one that is a reference to a Moana frame. Mm-hmm. So the hand going up and looking at the cross that that the wayfinders used to uh, to sort of track uh, various things, and then we changed the name of the episode um, from wayfinding to uh, what's that Moana line? It's um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on it now. Oh yeah, we know the way. Right. The views went up. Right. And, you know, that's not nefarious. That's not, you know, anything like that. But, like, it just, it, it the whole thing ties together. Like, Netflix, with its incredible power, can just have algorithms for that. With all of its data that it gets from us, it can prep 10 different, like, you could make, you could make this, uh, look, you could make the old guard look like a rom-com if you wanted to. Like... <laughs> depending on your stuff so that's that's hyper interesting i i wish uh smaller youtube channels had that ability to to do (laughs) (laughs) to to, i guess to target it specifically but then they don't have their own uh their own platform they have to use the youtube i guess um so with that in mind what is i mean like how did you did you did you know the graphic novel the greg rucker graphic novel before you, you no, uh, not at all. I, I didn't know this was a comic, which which uh, for me in this day and age is kind of odd. 
Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, this so the, so interestingly enough too, um, the comic is is uh, was written by Greg Rux, uh, who I haven't read his work, but also and, and illustrated by uh, uh, Leandro Greg Fernandez, Rucka. who's an Argentinian. Yeah, Rucka. Yeah. What, what was that? Greg Rucka. Rucka. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and also they together wrote this script. Yeah. Which is kind of nice and interesting. Like, like so when I was watching, well, I, I didn't know this afterward because I'm always curious when I find out something's adapted. I'm like, ooh, like, who wrote it? And it's not, normally it's like maybe the writer's in there as a consultant or something, but they don't write the screenplay and let alone the artist, you know? So Doesn't Robert Kirkman write a lot of The Walking Dead or did he write a lot of The He wrote some Dead? of it. Yeah. Yeah. So but they, it, it they, have a, happen, they have a writer's it unusual. room. Yeah, it is unusual, uh, certainly, and I think it's a it's a I, I think that pays some dividends, and it also has some detractions. Uh, sure, which we will talk about now. What is the old guard about? Ah, uh, IMDb says a covert team of immortal mercenaries are suddenly exposed and must now fight to keep their identities a secret, just as an unexpected new member is discovered. Cool. Buy it. I like it. You know, it's um, funny. It almost didn't really give the whole thing, and then it's like, oh yeah, and that character did showed up, and I was like, oh, a good, good, good wraparound. Uh, IMDb, good job. So you watched this before we had decided to do it. What did you think of the old guard? Uh, I overall dug it quite a bit. Um, mm. That is, and this is the first film I think in a while that we've done that I can say that about. But also, and we will. Pick it to shreds. <laughs> um, the overall experience of watching The Old Guard was highly enjoyable for me. I like action movies. I thought the action and the choreography was phenomenal. Um, very rarely do you see sword or like I'll say melee weapon and gun work done at the same time that looks believable and cool. Uh, this sort of did that. It felt visceral without being gratuitous. Uh and uh, not to mention, I loved seeing the uh, diversity in the cast. Uh, I, I That felt very current and good and wonderful to me. Uh, I thought the flashbacks in it were really fun to sort of the historical stuff, even though like I liked them when they were quick. I didn't so much like them when we lived there because you started mm -hmm. to see the, the fringes of some of the edges. Um, I, I, I dug it. I thought the story overall was... The story was average. Mm -hmm. How the story was told and how it never overstayed its welcome was was very strong. And I'll get into that a little bit more when we get into spoilers, but there's a couple specific aspects of this film that I just appreciated that it showed some goddamn restraint. Um, uh, so that's sort of my, my positives. I mean, we can get into the negatives uh, now or later, uh, but Shahir, what about you? How did you feel overall uh, when you when you were with the oldest of guards? Uh, with the oldest of guards, as I mentioned, I watched this on a screen, um, and I felt, and, and I wasn't exactly sure whether the the uh, impulse to check my phone was based on the fact that I was watching it on a screen, or whether I was getting a little bored by this thing. Um, I there's lots about this that I think is unique, and I like. Then there's lots about this that I think is fairly mundane yeah. and average and uninteresting. Um, and I think, you know, coupled with the fact that this is, you know, playing on a Netflix streaming platform so that you can sort of walk away from it, make, is on the one hand gives me the impulse to like not be too fussy about it, mm. but on the other hand also not be particularly excited about it. Um, I think... For every, you know, Gina Prince, uh, um, Gina Prince, uh, Birthwide, who uh, directed uh, Love and Basketball, yeah, and, um, uh, all, um, uh, all the lights—is that what it's called? Beyond the lights, um, you know, has a. Th this is a, a slightly unusual movie for her in terms of it, it's her first sort of action or movie, uh, but that's not an unusual step for any ho Hollywood filmmaker these days, jumping yeah. across from you know drama to action. I think that's that's fairly standard, um, and I think. What I like about this is the intimacy and the sort of raw portrayal of relationships that these characters have with each other. Um, you know, like I think 
Obviously, one of the things that this film does really well is portray a same-sex relationship with as much verve and panache as we would for a, a, a hetero relationship. Yeah. And the lines that we both quoted at the start of this episode are from that character, from the same monologue. Yeah. Um, because I think it's the best monologue. You know, it's the best piece of writing in the film. Um, you know, where he say, where someone says, "What is he? Your boyfriend?" He says, "You are a child, an infant." And I think that is one of the first times I think in the movie where not only the characterization is correct, but also the the sense that these characters are the age these characters are yep. really comes through. Uh, a lot of times I sort of, and I think this has been a common um, common complaint about this, this particular film, is that we don't really get a sense that these characters are uh, ageless. You know, they feel like they're of the now. And, and maybe that's sort of just a, uh, th- maybe that's a conscious choice to make them feel like, oh, they're, they adapt very, very quickly to where we are now. And maybe that would be true if I was immortal, what what have you. Yeah, honestly, that, it's the weapon choices that make them feel old other than the yeah. gut. Like, but other than that, there's not a ton. Yeah. But that particular speech, I think, is a really good example of where the character feels older than the people than they're around. Mm-hmm. Because the way he says, you are a child, an infant, and the way he's... Ca- uh, categorizing that is that you do not have the capacity to understand the love that I feel for this man. Yeah. Um, the full you know, quote, you, just so we one, have it. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. The full quote, just so we no, have go it, ahead. Uh, is uh, you're a child, an infant. Your mocking is thus infantile. He is not my boyfriend. This man is more to me than you can dream. He's the moon when I'm lost in darkness and the warmth when I shiver in cold. And his kiss still thrills me even after a millennia. His heart overflows with the kindness of which this world is not worth of. I love this man beyond measure and reason. He is not my boyfriend. He is all and he's more. And there's... How good is that? It's so good. And and there's two things that top it off, too, right? Because it's literally like a soldier uh, when they're trying to console each other once they're captured in a paddy wagon. The soldier's like, what is your boyfriend? And and, And then, like... Uh, the, 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 that's the character Joe who says that and then Nikki says you're an incurable romantic which is my quote from the beginning and then they kiss and even the guards mm-hmm. are kind of moved enough to not pull them away from each other right away and then but, the, but, the, the, the thing yeah. that I loved I'm sorry just one more thing yeah. the thing that I loved about it is the next time we see these characters they open the doors from this paddy wagon and all <laughs> of the guards are dead <laughs> yeah but I I love that that is such a cutting speech about our time. Yeah, you know, like like this is someone that has observed where we are in history and and observed the sort of the the circumstances uh, from the get go that would create a reaction like is he your boyfriend and completely undercut it with he is beyond you know he is more than anything and you are not worthy to stand in his presence uh, is such a beautiful. Like that is the first time in this film where I felt these characters were genuinely immortal and timeless in a way that sort of made sense. Other this, than that, yeah. Other the, than that, I, I sort of found the films and the and the set pieces to be, you know, fine. I think is the way I would categorize them. They they were fine, and what I mean what I mean by fine is they were acceptable but uninspiring. Sure, um, I think the only inspired, and it's not even a set piece, but it's a fight. Mm-hmm. The only inspired one, I would say, is uh, honestly between Charlize Theron as uh, as Andy and uh, Kiki Lane as Niall uh, on the airplane. I actually think it's fine, <laughs> but 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 no. The, the reason why I think that is actually a very special scene as well is it informs us so much through physicality and through the way they're reacting to this stuff much deeper into their characters. Mm. We don't often, and I'll even go back to like, look, I love The Matrix. We've talked about The Matrix. Mm. When when the fight between Neo and Morpheus in the construct is happening, it's cool and it looks neat. I'm not really learning anything about either character that I didn't already know. Where mm-hmm. in this one, I actually felt like this was the first time I actually felt like I kind of started to understand Andy as a character and also mm-hmm. was starting to learn about Niall from where they were coming from but based on reactions and the way that that whole scene sort of played out. No other part of this movie's action 
did that for me other than again using melee weapons in a gunfight <laughs> um but that 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 scene was actually fairly i i really enjoyed that i i think the problem for me is that niall kiki lane's character kind of acts as the gateway for us into like understanding the world and she's sort of sidelined with asking questions the whole time for exposition yeah and i found that that like i i th- i think the film hints at a really interesting world that if the film was able to pivot a hundred percent into those things, you know, for example, the idea that the that uh, Matthew Sh- uh, Shon- uh what is his name, Matthew Shonuts, uh, Matthias Shonuts is a great actor uh, whose name I can never pronounce. Um, <laughs> he was in Rust and Bone, the yes. uh, Jacques Odiad film, which is he plays really Booker wonderful. in this film. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the idea that his um, son died to cancer and so the reason in spoilers for this film the reason he betrays his team is that he never wants that to happen again you know I think that's an interesting through line the idea that these people have been are mercenaries that are coming to understand the limits of the things that they've done I think that would be an interesting idea but but unfortunately the film was kind of posited against this pretty uninteresting big farmer you know almost mustache twirling villain oh yeah that is really really you know like uninteresting look yeah i think that's the least interesting part of this film is the bad guy and the reasons for like oh wow really uh big pharma wants to take immortality that's oh for a profit uh there's nothing fresh there at all i i know how good harry melling was in the uh in the, the Battle of Buster Scruggs, yeah, do you remember? You, you remember how wonderful he was in that? It's anyway. just this. This there's nothing to do, there's you know. Do. Um, yeah. Even though I mean, they bring out my boy uh, who plays Copley, whose name he's one of my favorite actors, and I Chetwell Effiger. Thank you very much. Ever since, honestly, Serenity, she would tell. Yeah, she would tell. Yeah, he is amazing, and he's in this, and I like seeing him. He feels kind of wasted. The, the, look, He's done this role before. There's <laughs> there's a lot sort of, and, and so I, so yes, I agree. That was a problem. I was bored as hell by the villain plot of this movie. I much more wanted to see sort of uh, Niall come to her own while not being distracted by a B plot from the '80s, like not you know not being yeah. distracted from the same plot as American Ninja Two. Um, <laughs> the, but also I don't quite know. At least in the limited time I've had to, from since watching it to now, how I would fix that? I can tell you how I would fix that. Okay, is is the is the movie that this film is pitching as its sequel should have been the movie that they made? Like the yeah. movie that they pitched yep. as the sequel here. It's it's the same problem I had with Spy, you know, like uh, Spider Man Far From Home, which is like the movie that you're pitching as the sequel is far more interesting than the movie that you actually showed me, and I'm not sure why you were compelled to make this first version. I disagree I, with the I, Spider-Man thing, but I 100% get what you are saying. Yeah. It's just, it's just like the 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 idea that the antagonist is one of them who is gone mad because of this torturous thing. So for, uh, you should have watched the movie by now, but there is a character whom Andy spent most of her early life with. Quinn uh, spelled very was, interesting. Is that how you say it? Quiet, qu- uh, Q-U-Y-N-H. Quay? however it's spelled i think the way that she is dispatched in this film is one of the most terrifying thoughts i could you could ever imagine she's put in a, a in a iron maid aiden and like drown and she repeatedly is revived so for 500 years she drowns and wakes up and drowns again and she's um, andy's which, friend slash possible love interest and yeah and then she like basically andy they were separated and then Andy can't find her because they literally sailed into the ocean and dropped her somewhere. Somewhere. Um, yeah. It's, it, these immortals. It, sorry, we haven't even talked about that. The, all of these immortals, basically, they they're Wolverine, right? They yeah. they um, they just can. They will wake up and heal until the day that they don't. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's an interesting conceit. Yeah. As well, that the fact that they that the immortality. Um, goes away at some point. I think uh, the idea that Quinn is out there uh, is an interesting, you know, like 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 her having to reckon with that with that past. I think already sounds like a bitter, you know, uh, antagonist 
than the than the than the big farmer kind of plot that's in here. Um, so while I think this movie makes a lot of really good strides, and I think there's this stuff here that I really like. I thought a lot about Highlander as I was watching this movie, mm. and I thought a lot about like. It's been a long time since I've revisited Highlander, and I'm sure Highlander doesn't hold up the way I think it does. But I remember really caring about what those characters think about each other in Highlander and how that story played itself out. And I didn't, I, I didn't find myself that invested in this, despite thinking that there were moments, again, like the monologue that we talked about, this idea that these two people who were on opposite sides of the crusade, but, you know and kept killing each other, but then discovered that they were their, each other's great loves. Um, I found that to be a compelling story, but it's not a compelling story within what the movie is. And that was, that was my problem with it is like, there's really interesting ingredients here, but the soup is a little bit lacking salt or something. I don't know. You know? Sure. You, you went into this thing uh, with the best possible ingredients um, yeah. but then, uh, you literally forgot salt. Yeah. Uh, that's the thing. The, the I, Angelina Jolie film. Yeah, just bring <laughs> that in. Um, I think the characters, like, so I couldn't help but sort of see the parallels between this and Six Underground. Like, right. both Netflix yeah. movies, both secret military assassiny type groups, both mm -hmm. framing whatever device they're telling through the tale of a... Uh, yeah, African-American person being brought into their ranks. Like, there's right. a lot of similarities to these films. I honestly cared about all five of these characters to the point where, like, I actually know their names while watching mm -hmm. the film. I couldn't tell you... I know oh, they had numbers. They had numbers for names yeah. in the in the other film, but like, look, I, I think it goes without saying this is better than Six Hundred. Yeah, 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 but it's just <laughs> interesting, like, again... I think they did a great job with the characters, and maybe that comes down to the writing and maybe the graphic novel, et cetera. And I think in in one or two action pieces, it does come a, like you do that, that sort of enhance it. And while the others are just good action sequences in a substandard B movie plot, um, right. which is not bad, um, but it it it. It's interesting because I, I undulate between being like, I really like this. I'm fine with it. This is good the way it is to, <laughs> oh, man, but like yeah. this is this is this good. This is, you know, whatever percentage good. But you see the machinations of like, oh, but like if they just tweaked this, that or the other thing or they cared a little more here or they did that other thing like this could be a fucking classic. Like, yeah. Um, and so, you know. It's 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 that you know it's it's Monday morning quarterbacking only you're immortal. Of course. Um, yeah. So w one <laughs> thing one thing uh, I did absolutely love though was the handling and the not handling of the mythos of the <laughs> why these characters are immortal. It's not a plot right. point, and I like it that way. The, so even all these characters don't know why they keep coming back. They they right. they think they just want to do good while they can, and then I think in the beginning of the film we kind of see that Andy is like over it. They're like, look at all the work we've done. The world is just getting worse. This is fucking bullshit. And through the film, eventually when we they get to Copley, and Copley sort of like turns as to like why Copley is like trying to find and and not for the right reasons help uh, Merrick, the 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 pharmaceutical bro. Um, yeah. You find out that Copley's been tracing them throughout history, and then not only what their deeds have done, but the the butterfly effect of how of their interference with life has mm. positively affected the world. And it's something that without all that data, again, without all of the Netflix information telling you what specific thumbnail for this film you would get, you would never see that, right? Like. Right. Like, so Andy, by the end of this, kind of has a moment of realization that even though they don't know why they're there, they actually can see that they have made a difference. And depending on your read of that scene, you could infer that there is a more otherworldly reason for their interference in specific times and being kept alive in that way. But it doesn't. It's not like God did it. 
Like it's it's no, very I, I, it's very loose, and I appreciate that. Yeah, and I, I I like the idea that you know like um, Andy has no faith in the idea of the of the divine. You know, she kind of, and and that's sort of you know the the classic mentor grizzled mentor versus the new the new optimist sort of you know narrative is that Kiki Lane's character is obviously. Um, uh, you know, a believer in some way, and is and kind of feels that there's a divinity to this, and then and by the end of the the the, the film, Andy will kind of come around to that same realization. It's fine, you know, like <laughs> it's 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 fine. Uh, it's 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 not inspiring. Uh, it doesn't really move me in the way that that particular monologue moved me, mm-hmm. in the way that that Quinn's death, I think, was moved me in terms of how horrific that could possibly be. Um. But you know that's uh, so. So if if we're talking about Monday morning quarterbacking, you know, like we're talking about the fact that the you know the the adage that we've that I've mentioned on this podcast several times is review the film we had versus the and don't review the film that we wanted to have. But I gotta say, the reason I want I'm talking about the film that I wanted to have is I see so much potential in what was here. Yeah. Um. And there's so much, there's so many elements to this that I think I really did enjoy that it, it seems a shame to me that overall the experience was one that I was not particularly enamored by and did find a little tedious, um, given that, you know, I, I just, I found there's a sort of division between the really interesting meat of this film, which is the the conversations and the and the reckoning with the reality of what they're, what, who these people are, versus the set pieces. And to me, the set pieces became uninteresting because the set pieces were connected to a world that was about this plot machination that had to do with this big pharma thing, whereas the the Rick, the conversations about the world were connected to a world I was kind of interested in seeing. And it's that yeah. it's that connection of like storytelling through action that I that we kind of talk about a little bit, which yeah. is that this kind of doesn't feel like you know to me the storytelling the action was kind of providing me much interesting storytelling yeah there's a great youtube channel called nando v movies um and they uh he does this thing where he'll like rewrite he'll basically like go back and like plot fix sort of films with things i would love to see him do something with this because i think there'd be something there's a lot interesting to glean both your your suggestion here of of making quinn the like the main villain depending and also a few others i just it, it, when we were talking about sort of revisionist of it and like how we, it's so close to or it's close enough to be something where we're like oh but what if we did this yeah, yeah. i'd like to see that um another thing that didn't knock me out of the film but i'm curious if it knocked you out of the film because it sure as hell knocked jamie out of the film mm-hmm. uh was the music Mm. I gotta say, um, it did, it did, it did feel incongruous. I think the needle drops felt incongruous. Right. Um, you know, the, the the sort of action set piece needle drops. Um, I I I've been thinking a little bit about that, particularly in relation to our rewatch of The Matrix recently, and yep. the way that that uses, you know, electronic music, and you know, our conversation about movies and music. Um, you know, I love me some Frank Ocean, but I didn't love me some Frank Ocean in this movie. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it just, there was something about it where I guess when we did the movie American Honey, Ooh. I think the needle drops in American Honey were so precise because they felt like they were what the characters were listening to. Mm-hmm. And they were chosen not because they were good needle drops, but because they also allowed us to live within the world that the characters were living within. Just as an example, um, I didn't know what perspective the needle drops had in this. And I think in our mo- conversation about movie, uh, music and movies, one of the things I, I think you know Stephen Gallagher mentioned was that, uh, or maybe I mentioned it and we, and we talked about it. Don't was take Stephen's thunder. <laughs> was the idea that, that when a movie has a well-considered soundtrack, it's usually a good indicator of how well-considered the rest of the film is. And this, there was, there was one thing I felt when I was watching this film, and this will be the harshest thing that I can say about this film, which is that I don't think this movie is as cool as they thought the, the sequences were going to be. You know what? I will agree. Yeah. It feels like, I feel like, yeah, I feel like they thought that was going to be really cool. You know, like drop doing those needle drops and and the way the set pieces came together. I felt like it felt like 
that was supposed to be cool, but it really didn't feel that way watching it. You know what's interesting on that note? I think it's another reason why the most of the, um, the action sequences, outside of being physically impressive, mm-hmm. um, they're shot with with long long lenses and and longer longer takes, which I enjoy. Um, but another good reason I think that those are not connected and don't sort of land is the same thing. Like the for instance, again, I go back to the scene between Niall and Andy in the in the airplane. That has yeah. narrative understanding. It has narrative stakes. I understand exactly what the characters are, and n- none of the characters, even down to the pilot, make dumb moves. It all right. feels real and grounded in the world that we've been told, and I can get on board with it and watch a really well-executed one-on-one fight in the back of a plane. But then there's scenes that are, while they're cool, like e- the introduction to the idea that they are immortal and can't die when they all storm that, um, that bunker, yeah. and then all of a sudden they get lit up and then they eventually, uh, you know, heal and kill all the people who lit them up, and they get their footage taken, etc. That entire thing, from a structural standpoint, is dumb as fuck. So you, you can... know what I didn't like about that scene. Well, Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, is like why tease it at the beginning of the film to come only to come back to it within the first act because it undercuts the it undercuts the surprise of of seeing them all kill. It seems like a first act surprise, and those tend to be ruined in trailers. So, like, or like, or but, in, but even the, in the beginning is, of the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yes, I agree with that. Um, but also, everything in that sequence is stupid, and the reasoning behind what's happening in the sequence is stupid. So, there's two main stupid things. One, they get lit up and all fall to the floor dead. Okay. All of the guards who shot them like laugh and sort of like turn around and like meander away to nowhere in the room for like yeah. a good 30 seconds as they heal. Yeah. That's not, that felt so un, I mean, again, not that the healing, like whatever is realistic, but you can paint how people will act realistically to supernatural conditions. So at first I was just like, okay, dumb guards, action movie, fine. But then you find out that the mm-hmm. whole damn reason that these uh assholes are are doing this is to film them healing no i think they With, wanted to get the bodies but they only got the filming no no That's no they she, didn't have clearance they no 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 they didn't even have they wanted to prove to merrick the doctors wanted to prove to merrick that they existed so that then he would go and like get them to go be collected. Because honestly, listen, if they wanted to collect, so this is the thing, if they thought that they were immortals at that moment, right, they would have shot them up and then bagged them and tagged them. Like that's what would have happened, but they didn't. They let all of their soldiers die for a, for literally a, a proof of concept snuff film. And it's just, it makes no narrative sense, even from like a mustache twirly villain perspective. And it threw me off when I figured out that that was the point of it. Like there's just, I, I don't think that was the point of it. I think Copley says in the back of the cab with, uh, Merrick, uh, with, uh, uh, whoever the, 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 you know, the, the, um, yeah, Merrick's character yeah. is that, you know, Merrick says you were supposed to bring them to me or bring samples. He says all I could get was this video. Right. It, so I don't it, think. Yes, it, that's my point. So maybe I misspoke. No, no, but, but I think they were supposed to try and get it, but they, they weren't able to. But my point is, if they, they were. They should have been able to get it. Yeah, like literally they had 45 seconds to get them if that was the point was to get them. And that yeah. feels to me, that's a script break, right? That's a, yeah. that's a, uh, a, a narrative reasoning break break in what's going on are they just there to film them are they just are they gonna get them and the fact that they had all the time to do it and again i know this is semantical but it makes the sequence no matter how fun it is to watch feel ultimately pointless and under fulfilling like it it, there's there's undercurrents of that throughout most of the action sequences in this uh and then of course by the third act it devolves into um non-interesting hallway fights so. Yeah, exactly, and and I and yeah, I just I kind of found those hallway fights a little tedious, you know. Like, um, I think the fi- you know, Kiki's final stand where she, you know, plays dead, you know, like, do you understand Russian? You know, the great callback. Yeah, um, is is it's fine. It's it, <laughs> like I'm gonna temper it with with everything, which is that none of this is bad. It's just fine. I um, also yeah 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 you know and like her her 
her taking him, Merrick down, you know, by jumping off the building. Um, looked cool. Nice little one one shot there. Um, didn't care whether Merrick... I just didn't care whether Merrick lived or died. You know, the film telegraphed to me that Merrick would die, and I, I didn't care the dynamic... You know, there's not, there's not a moment that I was interested in the possibility of Merrick having something... Uh, of value to bring to this movie. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> a killmonger he was not. No, 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 exactly. And uh, his uh, his uh, hoodie sewn into a suit jacket Fuck. Uh, was, was uh, if, if ever there's been a uniform for a tech bro, I think it's the, and I think it must come from the social network, right? Like the Sean Parker, yeah, yeah. Justin Timberlake character who's wearing the, uh, the um, uh, hoodie underneath the, the suit jacket. Uh, but his was sewn into it, which I thought was really weird. Like, so he was wearing a shirt, and then someone went in, like, altered his jackets and sewed in his hoodie. He's that into rich. His suit jacket. Is that rich? He's that um, rich. Yeah, I, I, I was not taking. And ultimately, for me, the balance of the film is interesting moments, uninteresting film, and that's you know, I that's where I land in in the overall sort of equation of this whole thing. Um, and it's a shame because uh, to me, you get one shot at doing this. You know, I, I don't know if I'm, unless the sequel is like Terminator 2 to Terminator, you know, it's like, it just changes everything or aliens to aliens, both James Cameron movies, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm like, do I want to come back for a revisit of this? I'm not entirely sure. sure. It's got, you, you really got to promise me that, that, that the second one is really, really worth it. Um, but there's a there's there's stuff to like in here. There's certainly stuff to like. Yeah, you know. I guess as far as my final thoughts are, I I, I feel exactly I I my reasons for liking and disliking. I think we've kind of agreed on most everything about it. I will say that my overall feeling of when I watched this movie, I was pumped afterward. It didn't last, but. Mm-hmm. And it didn't it didn't affect me in any way outside of that one speech. Um, yeah. I, but I I had a, a a genuinely good time watching this movie. And then as I thought about it more, I, I sort of picked it apart more and that sort of crumbled away like that. That's but I guess that's sort of like what. What happened? The sugar rush. Yeah, the sugar rush. And you were happy with the sugar rush. And maybe and, because it's Netflix and it's a low barrier to entry to sit on my couch and and just turn it on, that like I'm being a little more forgiving of things. Like if I went and paid money to see this in a theater, would it be? Or even if I rent, you know what? Maybe it's the price of barrier for entry for me too. Like this cost me no more than my regular Netflix subscription. If this was something where it was like a a King of Staten Island, where you have to you know buy the or rent the VOD for for near theater prices. That yeah. might affect it sort of as my value proposition. But yeah. for the experience I had in the format that it was given to me, I did have a good time despite numerous uh, issues. Um, yeah. Would you, rec- would you recommend it to anyone? I would. If you're looking for a good action movie on a streaming service, yes, I would. Um, 100%. I would be interested. And I would be interested to see what moments people liked and what moments that they just threw them off because i guarantee you everyone who watches this will have some okay okay i i i said i think this is a uh, a tale as old as time if we were immortals this is the conversation if we were an immortal couple we wouldn't we be are like an those two couple we would just be fighting and bickering the whole time. Yeah. And he was like, is that your boyfriend? He goes, yeah, you, I would say, yeah, you want him? <laughs> you know? And I'd be like, um, oh, great. Oh, yeah. this is just like back in, in Baton Rouge yeah. in, yeah, in ex- 1768. Yeah, you we son always of a had bitch. Budapest and I hated it. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's, got, you know, like I, I feel like this is fairly typical of, uh, of a Matt and Shahir reaction to this particular type of film. Um, but I think there's things to like in here. I'm interested for Gina Prince Berthwood to, you know, like to, to do bigger films. You know, like the she, I, I listened to an interview with her where she mentioned that the last film she made before this was at a budget of $7 million versus 10 times the amount for this. Mm-hmm. And I think she certainly got the capacity here, you know, for, for what it's worth to, to make great things. I think, you know, the, the, the more power she can have to, to do those interesting 
interior stories within the bigger you know within the bigger world um the the bit of the film will be yeah um the things that feel like they've come from other movies or other movies of this type are the things that are that are uninteresting to me um but yeah i i, I wouldn't recommend this i'm afraid but uh you know, it is what it is. Tale <laughs> is all this Netflix, time. Uh, I mean, and you're looking for something to do while you're looking at your phone. Maybe this is the thing. Okay, now you're just being <laughs> cruel. Uh, this has been the only podcast about the film The Old Guard. Shahir, when you are not pushing bullets out of your skull with Wolverine-like flair, where can folks find you? Uh, you can find me healing my adamantium at my website, www.shahirdad.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D. Matt, when you are not fighting with a flight attendant on a plane uh, in order to prove your immortalness, where can people find you? A flight attendant? Yeah, uh, well, uh, you're not going to be... Are you going to be flying uh, like... Uh, no, but no, no, we're flight uh, attendants. Also, a- Wolverine's adamantium doesn't need healing. That's the stuff that coaches bone, Shahir. Jesus, you can catch me correcting Shahir's nerd. nerd cred <laughs> over at M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor with the number four P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, please check out the good works we are doing over at Extra Credits. If you have not watched our Exploring the Pacific episodes of Extra History, please do so. The last one will have just dropped two days after uh, one day after this podcast drops uh it's a five-part series it's incredibly interesting uh i i i I don't know i i fell in love with this series and i and i hope you check it out have you Um, learned to say hello in fijian what was that have you learned to say hello in fiji i did not no because well because fiji we touch on very very briefly because there's a bunch of islands okay what what is it uh bulubanaka bunuvalaka bula banaka bula banaka yeah, that's how you say hello. Oh. Bulabanaka. Bulabanaka. That's uh, how, how I, hello, how are you? Nice. I like it. Uh, <laughs> Shahir, what are we doing next week? Do we know? Do we want to commit? Do we want to commit really, to a bit? I, we we got to get this Lord of the Rings episode out some point. We yeah, got to get this gonna, Gremlins are, episode out some point. We got to get, what, what else have we got on the docket? We got, I think we should do Palm Springs at some point. Write us in onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod with movies you want us to see. Maybe we'll what do else a, is, what, what else have we talked about and not done? We could do a poll. Uh, yeah. I, but also, I would be interested as a side poll if they'd want gremlins or gremlins one and two because i think the conversation between both is <laughs> fucking crazy interesting there's there's that great key and peel sketch where they yeah they talk about pitching gremlins too we've talked about uh, that every time we bring up gremlins <laughs> yeah i know maybe it is gremlins maybe it is yeah anyway uh, thank you very much hope you enjoyed the old guard better than the new guard i hope you enjoyed your time with us because you're stuck with us Forever. Forever. Bye, everybody. Bye.